Welcome to the J2 Hub podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real-life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sahota, we bring you exciting real-life property, business and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more. Welcome everybody to another episode of the J2 Hub podcast. Obviously, it's now become a video podcast as well because we started doing videos and doing audios. The reason for doing the videos is because a lot of people have turned around and said, hey, James, I'm not really listening to podcasts anymore because I'm not driving to work. I'm not cycling to work. I'm not running to work. So I prefer a video. So I thought, you know what? You lot ain't getting out of this too easily. I'm going to do some videos as well and make my life doubly hard as if it wasn't hard enough to edit a podcast and get it up every single week. He's now put video into the mix, which means he's getting no time to himself at all. Anyway, this week I'm joined by a guy who I call as Mr. Sixpack. This guy is always on point. He is always looking good all year round. You get some people who train and look good certain times of the year, but this guy, I don't know, man, say summer, winter, spring, whatever time it is, this guy's got a bulging six-pack. So I'm very, very pleased to introduce Aaron G to the podcast this week. I've wanted to interview this guy for a long, long time. So welcome, Aaron, and thank you very much, firstly, for your time, mate. You're welcome, man. Thank you for the introduction and uh, the kind words, the kind words, although not, nobody can actually see what's under here now. I'm in a bit of a hibernation mode, but yeah, still trying to keep fit. You're keeping it covered, yeah? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But first of all, tell me, how are you looking so good in isolation? I mean, look, you got a fresh trim, the beard looks good, <laughs> the skin looks good. You are just, you're just radiant. Again, this is a highlight reel, bro. So what I did is I got the wife. I, I said, obviously, I'll make dinner. I'll look after her for the day if she can give me a trim. So we tested it out two weeks ago and she did all right. We tried like a high grade. And then this week we went a little bit lower. And uh, literally yesterday, she freshened me up. But I haven't always looked like this. Like Monday to Sunday, I was, I was looking like a werewolf. So <laughs> it's a special occasion. I thought I'd dress up for you. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate <laughs> that, man. I must say she's done a really good job because I, I tried to cut my son's hair the other day. Yeah. And uh, my son has a signature mohawk all year round. He's only young. But this time, his mohawk's kind of gone all the way up there. <laughs> But lucky for him, he's like, Dad, it still looks pretty cool, even though you've messed it up completely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bless him. Anyway, Bless him. How, how is isolation treating you, first of all? So isolation is good for me. Um, anyone who knows me, I'm, I'm a natural introvert. So this is kind of like the ideal scenario for me. I'm actually communicating more with people now because I'm in a comfortable place, my living room or my, my house. And I can just obviously conversate via audio podcasts and phone calls. Um, obviously in terms of business and stuff, there's been like a hold back on certain parts, especially like with construction and stuff. But in terms of generally like well-being and stuff, yeah, fine. I'm, I'm happy. The wife's happy, which is the main thing. Um, so yeah, keep smiling and moving on. Happy wife, yourself? happy life. Yeah, man. That's happy it. wife, happy life. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. What about yourself? Isolation has been good for me as well. Like you say, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person who I'm quite content in my own company. I can spend long periods of time with myself. And people say to me, James, how does that work for you? How you don't get bored? I say, listen, when you spend time with yourself, there's only one person you've got to please. There's only one yeah. person you're going to disappoint and it's yourself. So it's whatever you put out is what you're, you know, whatever you put in is you're, you're going to get out. So again, like you, mate, it's been pretty good for me. Mm. The only thing for us is we've had to draw up quite a strict um, time plan because uh, we've got kids. So having the kids around, it's uh, it's a bit of, of a nightmare. Sometimes I'm recording a podcast and someone will come barging in. 
<laughs> or you know it, it, other than that it's it's been okay mate and i've got to say for me it's been very very productive time a very productive time mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i think um the first week of isolation was like the first time i ever had a break in probably like seven or eight years so i i work seven days a week uh, i'm always trying to do stuff i'm always trying to create random stuff so i don't i don't like just sitting there but i had seven days off where me and the missus literally binged on money heist everything on netflix we completed it uh, amazon prime literally everything and it felt good to kind of like recharge and just relax and even me and the missus we got we got to know each other even better after nine years and then straight after that i'm back into work mode and i've been like so productive almost like like how it was like a few years ago. Cause what you realize is you think you're productive all the time, but you're not. Sometimes you're just going through the motions. So having that bit of like recharge moment definitely helped me. But like yourself, I, I'm finding now, like today I've got this podcast. I've got one straight after I've got another two. Then we're doing a Facebook live. I'm like just blocking up my calendar now to really just get stuff going. Um, so I'm excited. Like, like I said, I love it again. I don't have to make excuses on why I can't attend network meetings or why I'm not going to turn up on the weekend. So uh, it's, it's a perfect life for me at the minute. Yeah, you've got no excuses whatsoever. <laughs> exactly. Aaron, you said about creating content. One thing I wanted to start with straight away was your most recent video, How Stupid People Think Smart. <laughs> now, obviously, it's, been, it's a bit, been a bit controversial. I know it got, you, uh, it got you banned from some Facebook groups, did it? So it I'd, has, I'd yeah. Like, I'd like to start. Can you tell me a little bit more about this video, where it came about, and, and what actually happened, and how did you get banned from the group? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm always trying to um, be like an advocate for people who maybe don't have a voice, for example. And I'll always try and just cut the bullshit out of anything. I'm sorry if I'm not allowed to swear, but I always try and cut basically what's wrong uh, with the industry because there is a lot of lies and fake stuff going on. So effectively, what the Dunning-Kruger um, phenomenon is, so I didn't know there was a word for it, by the way, is when there's people who have a high level of confidence, but a very low level of skill. So generally speaking, they're very good speakers. They can exaggerate. They can talk. You know, we get them in all societies. We've all got a friend who thinks, you know, they're amazing at something, but really they're actually not that great at it. Um, And it's quite a dangerous place, especially when money's concerned. So in the property industry, when you're exchanging hundreds and thousands of pounds, if you put that into somebody with just a high level of confidence, but a very low skill set, you're effectively, you're risking like your livelihood. Um, And, you know, I've, I've made a hell of a lot of mistakes. I always openly talk about my mistakes so I never kind of say this is my highlight role in fact I probably talk more about my mistakes than my actual successes and when I, when I started putting that in there because the the actual examples with people who stand on stage and sell courses and do the stuff that these groups literally do on their training programs it kind of made a red flag and as I get quite a lot of traction within that group like on every post there'll be like two or three hundred comments um, or likes and stuff and then I get dms off the back of it I'm obviously telling people don't buy the courses because you can learn all this stuff on podcasts, podcasts like yourself, podcasts like Tej's podcast, read the books, connect with people. So I'm kind of moving people away. So I was almost like the person that they don't want in the group for that, for that exact reason. When all I'm trying to do is actually say, this is the truth, if that makes sense. Like I'm not, I'm not discounting there's any hard work and you need to know certain stuff. Um, but yeah, it was just then, it was just a funny phenomenon that when I found out there was actually a name for it, I got fascinated by it. I started researching. I was like, <laughs> I need to make a video here because I actually know why these stupid people are stupid. And I reckon some of them don't even recognize it. And you probably know this because you've been in the industry for a while now. You get to this level where as you really entrench yourself in it, you're like, shit, I actually don't know anything because there's so much more to learn. If that makes sense. I think you wrote um, something on your Instagram the other day when you're uh, watching another gentleman who's like quite experienced and you're like, 
wow, like you're still learning stuff every day. And it's about reducing that ego and knowing that there's just so much more that we all need to learn, if that makes sense. So that's what I'm trying to encourage people. Like always be a learner, always try and go on that journey. Because what's going to happen is the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And then once you get to that kind of stage of going through it, you'll recognize the bullshit is basically from across the road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, it was, uh, I saw that it uh, created quite a bit of controversy and, and you know, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people have commented on it and uh, yeah. said how great it was. And uh, um, I love the graphics on it, man. I think you did a really Thank good you. job on it. It's, uh, and you know what? I think people don't realize it's only a 10, 11 minute long video, but people don't realize the amount of effort that goes into creating content like that. I mean, do you want to let us know how long did it take you to produce something like that? So that one took me about four hours, um, but I've just done one yesterday, which just took me under eight hours. Um, so not all yesterday, wow. it took me about three days. Um, and this one's how to raise like a million pounds without ever asking for it. So throughout my post, you can look at my post for eight, nine years. I've never, ever written one of those posts. Do you want to get returns for your money? Do you want to invest with me? I've never asked that question, um, but I've raised just over a million pounds in finance. I've used about 750,000 of that. Um, and it's come from just the tips I put in this video. So the actual writing the script for it was easy. It was like a five, 10 minute job. I can, I can write stuff very quickly, but making the content so that it tells a story because I love storytelling. It was, it took me ages, man. Eight hours. And I was almost like, somebody better bloody watch this video <laughs> at the end of it. Because <laughs> I was like, that's going to really hurt. Yeah, yeah. You talked about, uh, you like to talk about your losses more than your successes. I know we had a conversation a little while ago where we were discussing yeah. some scary numbers on, you know, um, yeah. I, I'm like you, I openly say I've lost six figure sum. Uh, I got duped by a builder. And again, like you, I like to tell the story. It's not something I hide behind because I don't want people making the same mistake. I don't want people losing six figures. For me, I was able to lose it, but I had to deal with it in such a way. I had to deal with it mentally because for me, if I just kept thinking about those six figures, I would have gone crazy. You know, mm. I would have gone absolutely mad. So I had to make a decision on how do I move forward through this? Do I let this consume me or do I learn from it and do I grow from it and do I do bigger things with it? Because I, I know a few people in my network, if it happened to them, I, you know, I don't think they could recover. And I was fortunate that I was able to recover from it. So getting back to what I was saying, you like to talk about things that have gone wrong. Do you want to share anything that's gone wrong recently that you that sticks out that may be a lesson for somebody else not to make the same mistake? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think joint ventures and working with people. I think we're all in a society where, for example, networking meetings, we're all looking for that one thing. So if you've got a team behind you or you've got a deal, you might be lacking money. So you're, you're at a network meeting looking for money. If you've got money, um, and you may have a deal, but you haven't got the team around you, you're looking for a tradesman. So we're always looking for probably that one piece of the jigsaw puzzle effectively. So what I would always say is when you're looking for that one thing and then you suddenly find it, instantly you might just be drawn to, I just need that. And you're not doing the necessary due diligence, if that makes sense. And then you're mm-hmm. kind of hearing what you want to hear, believing what you want to believe. So I always just say like, do your due diligence in terms of what people say, like make sure what they say is what they do. And what they do is what they say. Um, we can all sit here. We can all say incredible things. I can make this podcast, you know, and fabricate my whole life and my achievements. And, you know, we can have a really nice shiny thumbnail at the end of it. But that's not the truth of it. Um, and I think you need to just dig deeper into people's values as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, th- the back end of last year, I had a horrible time. Uh, 
wrong side. I've still got that alopecia on the side of my face. Um, I wasn't sleeping. I, I was really like, I was close to losing six figures effectively. Um, and it was, it was a tough time, but because I've been in this game full time for four years, I've always had something that just stops me. Like I'm moving, I'm moving, boom, it just knocked me back. But then I just keep going. So each time I'm getting slightly higher. So I think my main lesson for, at least for the last experience is due diligence. Like look at the person, what they're saying and almost do like, um, I watch Dragon's Den. So most people probably watch Dragon's Den interrogate someone like they're on dragons then for example if somebody's been in property for 10 years okay what did you do in your third year of property give us an example of one of your deals what actually went wrong or if somebody's like i've got six or seven figures i'm earning seven figures a year okay how many employees do you do you have what are you doing with your employees right now i mean there's so many questions that you can dig into but again going back to my first point when you think that's the thing that you're missing you instantly just want it so you're kind of diverting across that so one of my mistakes is i'll shake someone's hand and my word is my bond this is why I've been able to raise the money I've raised. This is why friends and family trust me with, with my money. But not everyone would do that. So it's difficult, especially on social media as well. You, you can say all the right words, even face-to-face. Some people are very good speakers. Some people speak on stage for a living. Some people know clever techniques of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, where you can manipulate people. So just be conscious. That's all I'm going to say in relation to that. I mean, we, we've all got our own you know, brains between our two ears, use that, do due diligence on everyone, even myself, you know, people don't part with their money with me without having done some level of due diligence. But all they can do is look at what I've posted and look at the truth of it. I've never once claimed to be something that I'm not, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think you raised some very valid points there. I think, you know, people get scared to ask the questions because you think, oh, you know, Mr. Singh over here is lending me a hundred thousand pounds. I shouldn't be disrespecting him and asking him these questions, but you need to be asking those questions, you know, because if you don't, you get into trouble later on. And, and again, like yourself, for me, when we employed our first builder that screwed us, we didn't ask the right questions. You know, there was none of that due diligence because he was a mate, a mate from down the gym. Mm. You think, you know, I've been seeing this guy for the last five, six years. Why should there ever be a problem? You know, I'm going to see him here again tomorrow. Benching, I'm going to see him here again. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's, one, he's one of the boys, but I think they're the worst. You know, the people mm-hmm. that you know, the people that are in your circle, they know how you act. They know your emotions. They know what you're like. And if you're not one of those people that wears your heart on your sleeve and you are what you are, you can be very, very easily tricked and very, very easily manipulated. And like you say, there's certain skills that people have or nice. people learn to be able to read you as a person. Absolutely. I'm um, So if, if you know me on a personal level in terms of like my friends and my family and stuff, I'm, I'm, I suffer with anxiety most of my life, even like prior to this episode. I need five or 10 minutes to just calm myself, get my breathing in, check and everything. Um, I'm also a very emotional guy. So f- for a guy who's into the whole like boxing side, gym and everything, you'll also see me cry. Like, you know, I can watch a program and just be in tears with my missus. And I've I'm, I'm always been an emotional character. I take that from my mom. So people have recognized these traits of me that I, again, wear my heart on this, my sleeve and stuff. And if you're clever enough, and if you can think that way, you can manipulate that. So I've gone through situations, even if we talked four years ago, when a builder ripped me off for about eight and a half grand, he sent me coming a mile off, by the way. And uh, again, I just trusted him. No proper contracts written and stuff. I thought he's a nice guy. He seems like a Jack the Lad kind of, well, he's a Jack the Lad um, now. I trusted him and shook his hand. And obviously he, he manipulated me, took it over. And then what I did is I started making excuses for him. And this is what a lot of us do as well. So there's actually a term called gaslighting. Um, and effectively I was like, 
or maybe he was busy or maybe he was really ill. So he, he blagged that he had a backache and that's why he wasn't turning up to work. And long story short, after a bit, he dissolved his company uh, for that. I lost about eight and a half grand with that one. Um, but again, in my head, I'm still trying to excuse him. I'm still trying to see the good in that person. And I think we have to sometimes just take the emotion out of it, especially if you're like myself or maybe like yourself and just look at the facts. What did they say they were going to deliver? Did they deliver this? If they didn't, they need to take accountability for it. And then you try and readjust from it. But a lot of these people won't take accountability. They'll just kind of push the blame towards you, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, you know, my, um, I, I don't like to say this often enough, but my wife is a very, very good judge of character. Yeah. She's a very, very good judge of Absolutely. the circle that I'm in. Mm. And I don't, and you know, I don't like to listen to it. I don't like to hear it, but I know in the back Have of my to. mind, she, she's a hundred percent right. You know, I won't speak too loud in case she hears me. She'd be great <laughs> downstairs. But on the same token, she said to me a million times before, James, you can't work with anybody. Mm. You know, you've tried it. You've tried it in the past. Mm. You've tried to have business partnerships. You just cannot work with someone because you do not know how to separate a friendship from a from a professional relationship. So she goes, moving forward, I think best for you. It's just to work on your own. Yeah. You know, you need to identify certain skills in yourself. And I think sometimes you need to hear it from your nearest and your dearest as to what you are like a person. Because, you know, like you say, you've been with your wife for nine years. I've been married for 12 years. They kind of know you inside out. You know, they spend a hell of a lot of time with you. They know your traits. They know your skills. And they know what you are like as a person. Sometimes even better than you do. Absolutely. So getting back to what you said, it's very, very easy for people to manipulate you. And like, like yourself, mate, I've, I made up excuses for the builder as well. You know, I was mm. like, yeah, maybe he's this, maybe he's that, you know, he's going through this, his wife's not this, he's not well. All of it was bullshit just to try and yeah. make my fell feel better about getting stitched up. <laughs> and ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, ultimately I did get stitched up. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think everything you said was right there. And I'm going to second that, that my wife is like, the, the best judge of character it might just be a woman thing actually and maybe us guys we need to really listen to our wives a little bit more because everything she's ever called out has been 100% correct and again I think they know you better than you know yourself so unless you're really self-aware and you know the kind of person you are um, like even now moving forward in deals and stuff I've got one main business partner who I do pretty much everything with we split everything 50-50 if I bring the finance it's 50-50 if he brings the deal it's 50-50 that's just the way we work I've known him for about 17-18 years and he, she was, he was the first person, sorry, that my wife was like, okay, you're allowed to work with him. But on the same <laughs> token, like six months ago, when we were going through all this crap and stuff, she was like, I always knew you can't work with these kind of people. You need somebody who either completely compliments the stuff that you don't have and also is a trustworthy person. And that's my partner now. So my partner's not on social media. He hates social media, but he's very organized. So I'm a scatterbrain. I like to talk about this, talk about that, be creative here. And I do all this kind of stuff. I'm like a visionary. Whereas he's very like methodology. He uses like methods and he's very pragmatic and stuff in terms of what he does. He writes everything down. He keeps minutes of the meetings. And I'm like, this is a perfect guy for me. Plus I mm. trust him. I trust him with my heart. We went to university together. We live next door to each other for like 10 years. So for me, that's probably the only person I could ever work with on a long-term basis. Obviously joint ventures and stuff moving forward. Now I just make sure that even if it's with yourself, say we find a deal, and we have mutual respect for each other and we trust each other, I need to come out of that bit of making you feel awkward and let's do this legally. Let's get the proper contracts drawn up. Mm-hmm. Set all now Because like you mentioned earlier, I think it was a really good example that when you know someone, sometimes you don't want to ask all those questions because you don't want to upset them or you don't want them to 
maybe look at you like you don't appreciate it or you might cause something because I don't like conflict. I naturally don't like conflict. I want to stay away from con- conflict. I'm not a naturally assertive person. I go from zero to, to like a hundred. I don't have an in-between and I kind of need to find that in-between ground where I can have those conversations. Um, and this is stuff that I'm learning now. You know, I learn obviously from your conversations. I think somebody who's really good at it is someone like Tej. Um, he would just literally nitpick at everything in terms of like contracts and stuff. And I'm like, how do you do that? It's like, I want to ask the question, but I feel like I don't want to upset someone at the same time, but then you have to take the emotion out of it and just look at it like a business proposition. Because like you said, when you put a friend into a business box, it's completely different. You have to almost take away that friendship, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. Yeah. Mm. You gotta, you gotta be, you can't be afraid to ask questions, yeah. you know, especially, especially when you've got so much riding on it, just, just be open and ask them. So mo- moving on, what's your property journey looking like at the moment? What are you up to? Um, it's going well. So, um, the start of this year, we were like, um, I was blessed. I was like, this is going to be like the greatest year. This is finally the year where all the mistakes are now paying off. So, um, at the minute we've got a site where we, we did a commercial conversion. It was an NHS site. It took us about a year to get. So we got outbid on the first process, got it the second time around. We're about five weeks from completing it before we've all been put into isolation. Um, we've converted into 10 flats. Um, there's three on an out building and then seven in one building. But the car park's so big that we've got planning um, going through for two dwellings. Um, there used to be previously two houses there as well, so we know the foundations are right. So that's been a very, very good project. Again, we raised £300,000 from an investor for that. And then myself and my partner, we, we pay for the refurb for it. Um, so that's a really good project. Again, if we refinance it, uh, we had a risk valuation done um, when we bought the site. We showed them what we were going to do with it. It's literally most of our money out. Not all of our money out. There'll still be like seven or eight grand each per partner. There's three partners in that. Um, so that, that's that's a fantastic deal for us. We've also uh, signed an option on and one in KC. So it's called King Charles. It's where I live. Um, and that's a 14-unit one. So with that one, we've we've signed it and it's just going to be 14 new builds. And that's going to be very, very exciting because that's like my first major development that I'm going to be doing. And that's with me, my partner, and we've got like a consortium. So the people who are doing our build for the 10 flats, they, they're developers 24-7. They've got more deals than they know what to do with. So we give them some work on our project and now we, we formed a good relationship and we're like, we want to work with you on this one. So I've got two good deals that for the next 12, 24 months, I'm set. Um, you know, if we keep this one, it'll, it'll cash flow nicely. Or if we flip it, we can make about 150K with like six or seven months work, which is like a lot more money than I was ever making in property for the first four years. Like I was, sometimes I was making losses. Um, and then we've joined a consortium with the same guys for one in Mansfield with, with 88 units. Again, we're a very small number in that. Um, so it's 1.6 million all in for planning uplift. So initially we we're going to do the planning uplift and flip it on its head. But now we're thinking there's about 3 million in it over about two years if we build it out. Um, and me and my partner, we put 100K into that. We raised that finance as well. Um, there's a 100% return in that. So a lot of my stuff now is long-term, that in 12, 24 months' time, there'll be lumpy sums of money coming out, um, which is which is exciting. Um, but in terms of like essays and cash flows and stuff like that, well, I have four essays with another partner. Um, I'm pretty much hands-off with it. I don't really know much about it. I put a bit of money into it to start it off. I know it's positively cash-flowing. There's nothing else to do, but at the minute, we've just given that to you the NHS obviously because of because of the times and stuff so we've got staff in there that we can hopefully give something back to them as well but um yeah I mean that's where my my journey is I'm not an impatient person I'm not like trying to be a millionaire tomorrow I'm happy with the process you know I've taken so long learning the mistakes 
my main thing now is not to get burnt on these big projects because these two, three projects will literally change my life at the back end of 18 months. That's where I am now. No, some really, really exciting stuff. You said you're part of a consortium. Do you mind explaining that a little bit further for people that don't understand? Yeah, absolutely. So, so just to put it into context, my business partner's brother-in-law, who's known for like 20 years, is part of that consortium. So effectively, they're big-time developers. They do a lot of contract work, like in the jewelry quarter. They've just taken on a million-pound contract for renovation. Um, they build houses themselves. And they, off- they literally get offered the projects first because they take on a lot of them. So they've got their own investors as well. Um, but my ability has always been to raise finance. I've always been able to find finance, but I've not known what to do with it. Um, and especially when I started, I never used to use other people's money because I was losing my own money. So I'm not going to risk somebody else's money. Um, so as I'm raising money, I, we had conversations about 12, 18 months ago. And I was like, I can definitely find you money if the numbers stack and the work that you do works. So long story short is I've helped them with a couple of hundred thousand pounds for a few of their deals to help them with cash flow because that's one of the main things you have to monitor throughout like a development. Um, they brought us onto the Mansfield deal. So we put like, I think it was about 90 something K into it. We got hundred percent return JV agreement or drawn up legally and everything with that. Um, they've done our refurb here at cost. So what we're getting the conversion for, you'll never find like a better cost for it. And the work quality is brilliant. So off the back of that, what we said is let's pull all our resources together. You guys got the team. I can raise the finance. Let's joint venture. Let's set up a limited company, which we're in the process of doing, but we were going to do it just before lockdown. And then for the KC deal, which I explained earlier for the 14 units, we're going to join up and then we're going to profit share at the end of it. So it just works better that if you can find the right people who can complement the skills that you don't have, you all trust each other. You have the same values. You join together, you can make more money. So for us, that, that KC deal, there's about 600K profit in there between however many. So even if you've got six people in there, that's 100K, that's okay. Plus you're working with people that, you haven't got to check the bank account to make sure that money isn't leaving and going into dodgy accounts, which, you know, I've been part of ventures like that as well. So for me, it's working really, really well. I just think again, with the consortium thing, it all comes back down to due diligence, make sure you're working with the right people, trust the numbers, ask the questions. I mean, for this one, luckily my partner, I saw the questions that I sometimes don't feel comfortable asking. Um, but again, everything's just done legally. So consortiums definitely work as well. So the power of numbers, eh? Absolutely, absolutely. For 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 the same for the same time scale, you can make so much more money. I mean, I'm not going to find a flip in Birmingham at, to make me 100k like this year. It's very difficult. The, the demand's high. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I just know that I'd rather just join these guys who get first dibs on every project. But what my expertise is, I raising finance. I can project manage um, basic sites. I can't project manage a development. Um, and then I, you know, I try and give what I can to the to the to the cause. But they don't need me to be honest. Like even when I go to like check up on site, they've got their own PMs. Um, they do everything like to a professional level. They've got employed salaries. So it's not just um, subcontracting people out. Um, it's, it's on a big scale. I've landed on my feet, to be honest, um, working with these guys. But again, they're not on social media. They're not the kind of people like flossing, you know, trying to trying to get likes. Like, like all of us are doing, I suppose, indirectly. They're just behind the scenes, getting on with it, doing the work. Um, so yeah, it, it works for me. So the most important question, did your wife analyze these people before you went into a... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So obviously at this point, I, to be honest, I was at Crossroads because I was like, I'm never going to trust anyone again, um, having been burnt. And I was like, people are just like so bad in this industry, which is a very bad thing to say because there's some great people in the industry. But obviously at that point, I was feeling sorry for myself. But, you know, the wife does her due diligence. She checks everything. She has a very good gut feeling. Um, and she always uses her gut as well. So... 
she she approved it. It's it's approved by the wife. So at least now, if anything goes wrong, I can blame her. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of sourcing these deals, these guys, what you're saying is because these guys are so powerful in the way they do stuff and the amount of work they do, they're just influx with deals all the time. Pretty much, yeah. So there's a Connells in uh, Wolverhampton. Uh, I'm not sure if you have Connells down south, but it's, it's the biggest estate agency. And um, the one in Wolverhampton is actually the biggest one and it's the busiest one. So about two years ago, when I was knocking on agent stores and trying to get deals and tell them about, you know, my aspirations of being a developer and stuff, they'd always say, look, we have our investors at the top of the list. And, you know, I always knew I'd kind of be like number 20, number 30 on that list. Um, so Connors Wolverhampton was always my goal. But when I found out recently, I think about October, November time, these guys work directly with the manager of Connors. So what they've done is they've attached themselves to the best estate agents. They've completed on a few deals. And off the back of that now, it's they get first refusal. Because like anyone out there, whether you're a newbie or not, when you go to an agent, if an agent passes you a deal, that's likely passed at least five or six eyes already so although you might be thinking you're getting a good deal for some people that's just not good enough um so we're in a kind of good position but again obviously these guys because they're on a bigger scale to myself they'll take on the ones for themselves and then obviously where we can fit in we'll just try and fit in as well no that's fantastic i mean mm. what a great position to be in now you're coupled finally with... <laughs> well yeah no but you've gone through the pain to get to the pleasure yeah. you know it's it's a great position to be in where you know the deals are just coming firsthand and they've been properly vetted by their team and you know it's going to be something great once it comes through. I want to ask you about finance. So you said earlier on that, you know, you've initially you used a lot of your own money before you went and head and raised finance. I'm pretty much in the same boat. You know, I've, I've been using my own money or raising small bits of finance through family members, but it comes to a point, you know, where you're looking at bigger deals, especially when you're looking at stuff in London, it's, it's the prices are just way, way, way higher. How did you go about raising finance and how did you go about asking people for money? I mean, it's not a question you just come out with and say, hey man, I need some money. <laughs> so so you, you know my personality by now. I, I, don't, I don't ask awkward questions. I don't say stuff that I feel is going to either make me or somebody else feel awkward. So a bit of a shameless plug, but the video that I'm going to release probably today is how, to, how I raised money. So it's not how everyone can do it. It's how I did it. So it's just basically explaining the stuff that I did. I would say the first rule number one is just be completely transparent. If you, the more transparent you are, the more people can get to know you. So you've got a podcast now, James, and you watch, people are going to start reaching out to you and start saying, I know you, I trust you. They're going to feel like you're a part of their life, even though you don't, you may not know them because they're hearing your voice 24 seven or the seeing the stuff that you do. They associate trust with that. So I've been on social media for like eight or nine years on Snapchat from fitness stuff on my Instagram to the property space. And what I'll do, like I said at the beginning of this show is I'll be transparent with every single thing. And the reason I'm transparent is most of my investors, at least initially were like friends, family, neighbors, and they see what I do on social media, but they also see me in person. Now, if I start saying one thing on social media, or then I'm doing something different at home, they're going to be like, you're, you're a liar. Right. So that, that's one thing, obviously, like I've never liked, but secondly, you want to be transparent so they can be like, actually, he is what he says he is, the stuff he's doing. So as a, as a result of that, people have actually messaged me and says, we have money. We don't know what to do with it. What do you do with your investors? Then it's a simple matter of, I'll explain what we do. And remember, I've only come into this space recently in the last like 12 months. Before that, I was like, look, I'm trying to do a flip. I'm going to probably bridge this one. I don't need you. Let me see how I get on. And then if I do well, then obviously we can come in and I can pay you the 10% rather than pay a bridger, for example. Um, so 
my, my situation is slightly different in terms of people have always approached me. I don't think I have the heart to ask someone. I can't even ask my best friend for a fiver. Like I have that stress on my head that if I owe someone money, it like, it winds me up. So like, if you buy me a drink and we go out for a drink on Friday, in my head, it's like, Tally, I need to get James a drink. Like, I always have to buy the first drink. That's just the way I've been brought up, if that makes sense. But I would always say to people, I mean, just some tips off the top of my head, be yourself. I know that sounds really cheesy, but just be yourself because people buy into people. People buy into me as a person because my word is everything. So people who have known me from 14, 15 years ago, they know if shit is the fan. Worst case scenario, this deal, refinance, something messes up somewhere down the line. Aaron will somehow pay us back. And I've always done that. And I think when you have that level of integrity, just in, just in your actions, people will start to warm towards you. Then obviously showcase the stuff you're doing. So don't just keep telling people you're messing up. Like I messed up on one project, but then I made my money back straight after on a buy, refurbish, refinance. And then people can recognize that actually he's learning from his mistakes. He did, he got done by a builder here, but the next time he drew up a contract where I held money back, I didn't pay him so much of a big deposit, for example. So as long as you're learning and you're not somebody who just completely keeps getting burnt over and over and over again, I think people will definitely buy into you. Mm, mm, no, some good points there. What, I mean, what I found from my personal experience, just working with some family members on, on raising finance was um, they don't ask too many questions. You know, mm. if they like you as a person, that nine times out of 10, that is it, you're in you know and i think what you find with investors is they start off with a small amount now i would say somebody asking someone for 50,000 pounds is not a lot of money for them you know and for an investor 50,000 pounds seems to be the entry level that they go <laughs> in at yeah and as soon as they get a decent return back like you say i mean when we first borrowed 50,000 pounds well we borrowed 60,000 pounds off of a family member to finish our our new build and it was kind of like we had an agreement. We wanted to sign it. We wanted them to have first charge. They didn't want none of it. I mean, they literally took the agreement, ripped it up and threw it in the bin. And it's like, look, we don't work that way. We're helping you out and we don't want a return. Those were the words. But us being us, we gave them a 10% return. And when you return someone back their £60,000 and you give them £6,000 on top in an envelope, say nine months later, to them, they're like, what the hell? I was not expecting that. So. They've already analysed you as a person. They can see that you made it number one priority to pay them back. You went around them because what we do is when we pay our investors back, we always give them the return now in cash. Because mm-hmm. we found when you go to see them personally and you give them a wad of money, it's a lot different from when it's a number <laughs> in a bank account. Because to them, Absolutely. it's like it's like, whoa, what is this? Yeah, yeah, you know. And yeah. it's that whole excitement. It's that whole wow factor. And it's very, very intentional. We do it that way. So they feel bang. Mm-hmm. And we will, and it's been times when we've just proposed another deal to them there and then when they're being paid back. Because they've now trusted you for the lower amount. Now, when you're looking at a project where you might need 200 grand or 250 grand, they might um and ah a little bit because you've got that trust already. You are pretty much in straight away. Absolutely. I think um, just going on your point, the first one about ripping up the contract, one of the first friends that lent me £40,000, um, I, I was I was going around to his house and I was like, I've drawn up the contract. We've got legals in. I'm going to sign everything. I need you and your wife to sign it. And his exact words were, Aaron, you could put it on a horse for all I care. And even if it loses, I still trust that one day I'll get my money back. And that was it. And I was like, well, I'm not going to put it on a horse and I still need you to sign it. And obviously I made sure he'd done all the, the, the signing and stuff, but that's what it is. They're brought into me, just how your family brought into you. And they don't want to return. But when you can give them something 
they're going to instantly sit back and think, hold on a second. I'd rather give James this 60 grand again or this 100 grand or 200 grand because we're getting more than, like we all know, the banks are giving us right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and off the back of that, like I recently helped Tedge out with some money that he needed, mm-hmm. you know, and it's only because the circle trusts me. And they asked me one question. They said, do you trust the guy? Do you trust the investment? And I said, yeah, the investment looks straight up. And, and the guy's pretty decent as well. Um, and that was it. Within a couple of days, the investment was Brilliant. raised. And it just goes to show you the power of your network. Sometimes you just need to speak to people in your own space, in the property space, and you'll find there may be somebody sitting there who isn't able to move on their deal just yet. They might not be moving for another six months, 12 months, and they've got a pot of cash that they can just say, there you go, James, you use that until I need it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, this is why it's definitely important, no matter how shy or introverted or like me you are, that you still get out there. Like I was still 12 months, 24 months ago out there. I mean, I've gone off the scene a little bit for 12 months. I'm trying to get back engaged because property is not my actual passion. Like I don't enjoy property like a lot of people, um, but you have to be out there. You have to be at least telling people what you're doing, whether that's through your own medium of blogging online or Facebook or YouTube, for example, or going to network meetings like yourselves that you guys go to pin meetings, PPNs, whatever it is, you have to be telling people because you don't know who you're sitting with and you don't know where one conversation can go. I mean, um, I, I had a, an, another person message me recently, like a few days ago, saying um, that they want to invest some money. Um, they're from down south. I'm not going to go into the whole details of it, but there's a big sum of money that they're willing to invest. So I'm thinking this person's come through um, my, my family members my wife, on my wife's side. And I found out that actually, no, this person has been following my content for the best part of eight years in terms of like even my health and fitness stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, that, that's really interesting. So I, like I said, it doesn't always have to be like, we're doing property deals, we're doing this. Just show your character, show your personality, show the stuff that, you know, are your values and your ethics. And then people will buy into that because like, actually he's a trustworthy person. What he's saying is what he's doing effectively. Mm, mm, no, some good points there. Uh, and like you say, you need to tell people what you do because I think Absolutely. for a long time, I was one of those people that just did stuff behind the scenes. I didn't really want to flaunt it. I didn't want to put it out yeah, there. Yeah. And then I was told the same thing. Listen, you need to start telling people what you're doing because if you're going to be looking for investment later on down the line or you want to grow and look at bigger projects, you're going to need to grow as a team and you'll grow a lot quicker in a team. And, you know, power of numbers like we just spoke about. Yeah. Absolutely. Aaron, I want to ask you, a bo- oh, go on, sorry. Go on. I was just going to say, and you've done some really good stuff as well. So it's not like you've just come on the scene and you're trying to build a brand instantly. Like you've actually done more, more stuff than a lot of these people who stand on stage do. So for you, mm. all you've got to do is just go back to the archives and just bring out each of your scenarios, which, which you're doing now. And it's interesting because even somebody like myself, who's been in this full time for four years, I still learn off your content and the stuff that you say. So there's always going to be times in your story that you can just bring out as an episode on YouTube or a podcast where people are going to be like, but yeah, he actually knows his stuff. He's not just saying it. So yeah, Mm. absolutely. You know, it's weird you say that because the archives, I was thinking back to one of the earliest deals we did and it was a a flat that we bought above a commercial in London. Mm -hmm. All we did was buy it. We got planning permission to turn that shop into a two-bedroom flat. We made £130,000 overnight just from buying planning within six months i've wow. never shared that on social you there know you and i'm thinking to myself these are the this is the kind of shit people pay money to be taught and, <laughs> exactly and, and we were doing it just as a sideline as a side hustle to a main business that we were running mm-hmm. so it, you know there's been a lot of push from a lot of people on the social scene especially ted you said listen you need to push the shit out there man because yeah, there's a lot yeah. of stuff to say yeah. um 
so yeah my advice would be you know if you're in it just tell people what you do because you just never know who's listening absolutely absolutely Aaron, I want to move on to something that I know you're very passionate about. Mm-hmm. I know you speak a lot about it, which is uh, which is mental health and you know well being. Tell us about it, man. Yeah, so mental health is something that it's co- it's close to my heart. Um, my mum, she's uh, suffers with chronic depression for about eight nine years now, so she's on medication and stuff. And my mum's my best mate, you know. And seeing how it affected her life, it started to change my life. So I could see changes in behaviour and stuff. Um, and as, as I've gone through the process without getting too much into it, I recognize that I suffer severely with like chronic anxiety as well to like a really, really bad point where sometimes I couldn't even get out of bed. I mean, I, I have that ability that if I'm with someone, I can click my fingers and kind of just go into like action mode and just talk and stuff. But other than that, I'm really like struggling to like get out of bed and stuff. And then when I found out that also falls under like a mental health bracket, mental illness bracket, I was like, shit, what's going on here? And, you know, as, as, as an Asian person, it's a very taboo subject. At least it was a few years ago. So trying to work with my mom, trying to work on myself at the same time and trying to make sure that people are aware of what we're going through and stuff. It just, it just became something that I got entrenched in and really started to learn about, really try to understand. Um, I've had family members um, commit suicide. I've had people try to commit suicide. So we've started on the back of that separate podcast, the men's mental health podcast, where we've managed to stop teenagers from committing suicide. So it's become like almost like a passion project of mine. I wish it wasn't a passion project because I wish we never had to talk about suicide in men or mental health and stuff, but sadly it exists. So coming from a physical aspect where I was a personal trainer for like nine years, I then started to realize actually that there's bigger problems here. There's more underlying issues and that translates to your mental health. So that's why like my whole everything I do now, like when I create content and stuff, it's always to try and enhance somebody's mind or their mindset or try and make them a healthier, better version of themselves. Because I always say, and I think most people recognize this in isolation now is money and cars and everything aside, we need this to, you know, to mm-hmm. be sharp and, and our body. And that, that's actually all that matters. And a lot of that comes from, you know, gratitude. It come from your daily habits, you can manage your energy, but also from relationships as well. Like, concentrate on like meaningful relationships not like how many friends do I have on social media or how many people are liking my shit like what's actually important the ability that if I'm having a bad day I call my boy up or I call my mom I call my little brother and we can have a conversation or I have a friend and I think that's what I'm trying to educate almost show people that we're missing like the important stuff um, and, it, and it is a you know it's a horrible thing it's going on so that's where I spend a lot of my energy so even me and the wife now for about 12 months 18 months we're in the health space. We're trying to create something now that will enhance and help anxiety, help your health markers, help your blood levels, everything. So we're creating like superfood blends, but not the stuff that you see on a normal shelf, not with like artificial ingredients or sweeteners and stuff. This is like the most potent natural ingredients. And it's taken us 18 months to procure this. Um, we're in the process now, hopefully releasing it in about two months. But when you take this, it will have scientifically proven benefits to like enhance you. So our, our aim is we can't change the world. We're just two normal people but what we can do is we can give them something at an affordable convenient price for example where if they take it every day it will at least put the odds in their favor uh, like ever so slightly so that's my passion with that obviously i try and do podcasts as much as i can um i do a lot of stuff in terms of just calls and stuff with people young people just having a conversation i'm not a counselor i'm not somebody who should be on the samaritans i'm doing my mental health first tra- first aid training but i've seen what it's what it's like and you know how you said at the beginning of the podcast the reason you speak about your stuff is because you don't want no one to go through your pain and I'm, I'm exactly the same. Like I, I feel when somebody's getting duped by somebody else or when somebody's been burnt by a builder, cause I'm like, 
fuck, I felt that. Like, you know, I know exactly what that is. So what I'm trying to do now is make sure that other people don't struggle the way my mum struggles and has struggled or the way I struggle with like anxiety and stuff. So yeah, that, that that's that's actually my passion. I mean, if I could do that all the time, fantastic. But it doesn't pay the bills. I don't get paid for it. I just spend 30, 40 hours a week doing it. Um, but that's why I have to keep staying focused on property. So I was like, now I've got time to focus during this period. Let's get back on the property space. Let's start learning more because I learned so much, even just, I joined a Zoom call with you guys the other day. You still learn little bits, you pick it up. And I'm like, I need to get back on it. I need to get my mind sharp. Though. So the more of these deals I can do, the more I can really put out there into resources to help with mental health. Mm-hmm. No, I think you raised some good points there, man. I think especially being Asian ourselves and being from that whole Asian culture and being of the slightly older generation amongst yeah. our peers at the moment, it's a big thing. You know, you if you went to an uncle or a dad or someone and you said, hey, Dad, you know, I'm feeling really stressed. I'm feeling really down. Mm. He's going to say, hey, man, your shit up and give you, like a, big, <laughs> yeah. you know, a big slap around your face. And I look back now and I think there are stories in my family that my mum's told me, oh, you know, you had a you had a 22-year uncle who jumped off a train track and killed himself. You know, he was he was stressed over this. And when you hear it when you're younger, you just think, whoa, man, that's a that's a big mm. thing for someone to do. But now as mental health is more apparent and people talk about it more, you think this guy must have been going through so much shit to be at an underground station when a train is coming full pat to jump off and take his own life at only 22 years old. You know, what could be eating this person up that much where you think, you know what, I'm, I'm going to end it. I, I can't live this way. I can't take it no more. And it's been a big taboo in the Asian culture because, yeah, you just you wouldn't speak about it. You know, e- even to this day, I hear of people that have taken their own life because they felt embarrassed about something. Mm. And you think, shit, man, what? OK, mm. you've been hit with a tax bill and some people have found out you've been a little bit slippery back in the days. But is that enough to go and hang yourself or electrocute yourself? Yeah. No, man, I don't think so. I don't think so. And I yeah. think culturally, especially amongst the Asian community, that shit needs to change because mm. I still feel it's just hushed up a little bit, you know, no, 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 he's just a, there's something wrong with him, man, it's not men, it's mental health, man, there's nothing wrong with the person, he needs some help, go talk to him, get him some help, don't just sweep it under the carpet, or think it's going to get better by making him a cup of tea or something, you know? it's a little <laughs> bit more deeper than that. No, absolutely, it's, it's a lot deeper than that, and I think you're right, that one of the key things that we can all do from like today is we can talk. So it can literally be like bringing your friend or your family, like even after this conversation, just saying, are you okay? And making sure they're okay. I mean, one of the, my proudest achievements more so than any of these property deals is my, my younger brother's nine years younger than me. And uh, he looks up to me uh, as, as an older brother. And one of the things they used to do, they used to go for mixed grills and beers like every weekend him and his mates right that was just that was just their thing and normally it's, it's just a, it's, it's a standard it's, indian it's man a stand, thing, isn't it? absolutely it's a standard thing um so he'd go for those and, and normally conversations is what girls were you with this week uh, how much money you made what car are you looking at buying who did you bang out right are you who did you have a fight with um obviously he's more mature now but i'm talking like five six years ago anyway this kind of just becomes the habit and then you just kind of do the same stuff as many of us do throughout our lives and when one, one of these mates started listening to my podcast, which I had no idea about, um, and what they've done now is, is change the discussion. So now when they meet each other, for the first 20 minutes, it's, how are you doing? Or, I had a really shit week. Um, I need to talk about it. And for me, that is like, wow, I've just changed a generation of a conversation where now some of them have been struggling with like their mental health or suffering with anxiety and stuff, and they never knew what it was. And because they've seen me as a kind of older brother 
almost put myself on display and say, look, these are my vulnerabilities. They, they feel it's okay for them to say it as well. Um, and that for me is like, that's everything. But that needs to be on a bigger scale. You know, I'm not, I'm not Gary Vee. I'm not your, your Grant Cardone's of the world where I have such a big voice. But I'm thinking every single person, we, if we just be kind to the next person, have that conversation, talk and listen, we can definitely solve this. And I think this is way more important than how many flips or listeners we get on podcasts and stuff. You know, we, we need to look at the important stuff and that's humanity. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, what, one of the things I've been doing most recently is and I've been quite openly posting, let's get connected. And why yeah. I do that is, you know, if I'm if I'm on a Zoom call, if I'm in a network thing and the notes come up, I will put that there. Let's get connected. I'm open to have a conversation with anyone. Now, a pe- few people gave me stink about it. They're like, oh, you're just, you're just doing it to ramp up numbers. And I said, no, nah, I'm not doing it to ramp up numbers because let me tell you a story about a young chap who contacted me. I gave him some advice. He saved himself some money and he didn't get burnt. Another chap contacted me. He was about to pay for a course. I pointed him through to some videos. He saved himself a load of money. So for me, the whole reason for starting my podcast was to try and give something back. And the yeah. fact that I quite enjoy a chat, you know, as you can see, yeah. I have yeah. a very small, I have a very small friend circle, probably three friends that I call friends. So for me to have a chat and be able to give something back and for people to learn from it is just the ultimate thing. Cause I always think, how can I give back? What can I do? And I think the easiest way to do that is to teach people from your experiences and to change the whole way they think. Like you said, your brother and his mates, they're now talking about your podcast. I had a similar experience with my brother-in-law. Yeah. Same thing. Aston University, they go out, they get pissed, mixed grill, how many girls? Same <laughs> yeah. Suddenly he goes to me, he goes, oh, bruv, he goes, few of my mates have been listening to your podcast and they're loving it. Like Love they're it. tuning in every week. I'm thinking, yeah, which one is it? <laughs> Inside, I'm thinking, why? Yeah, but yeah. then they're starting to say, look, man, you're you're really giving some decent value there. People are really picking up some good points. You think to yourself, you know what? I'm going to persevere with this because it really, if it's having an effect on people that are 15 years younger than me and it's changed it's in the way they think, you know, you've 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 done something pretty damn amazing. Absolutely, bro. And and I always say, and this was the reason I started the podcast as well. Everyone has a story. And everyone's story has power. Every single one of us, even if you think it's mundane or it's boring or there's nothing exciting, your experiences and your perspective on your story and what you've gone through, it can change somebody's whole life. It can literally change the course of their life. They could listen to the way you explain adversity, for example, and they could take that as a bit of, okay, he persevered through it. I'm going to now persevere through it. Um, So that's what I always say to people, like share your story, share who you are. Like, let's stop trying to be like somebody else because that somebody else's story is already there. Like, tell your story. It could actually be very similar lives, but perspective is what makes it unique. So, like, there you're changing the conversation there, bro. And you've only just started this podcast. So, imagine, like, in two, three, four years' time, how many different levels of like conversation you're going to be changing. I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? That, that for me, is more fulfilling than making a hundred thousand pounds, for example. I mean, that side mm-hmm. of it doesn't really get me excited. I just need to make sure I'm not making a loss and I'm happy. <laughs> you've hit the, you've hit the nail on the head man i could i could go back through the archives and dig up pictures yeah. of some really slick cars that i've owned you know 150 grand plus motors had some real nice times read a, you know led a real nice life because i was privileged enough to do that through my business but what kind is that giving the right message to people that are 15 years younger than me no it's not because anybody can go out and have a nice car on tick anybody can go out and get a you know, okay, maybe not everybody. You could go out and get a, 
an Amex card that gives you unlimited money. You can yeah. go out and spend what you want. You can show that flossing lifestyle. But is it really having an impact? Is it really changing someone's life? Or is it just fucking with their mental state and they're thinking, mm. shit, man, I, I, I'm like 28. I've done fuck all. He's got this car. He's doing this. Why am I not doing this? And then suddenly they're becoming depressed and you're wondering why they're sitting in their bed all day long playing Xbox because they're just being influenced by the wrong shit around mm. them by the wrong people. And people mm. openly do that, you know? Yeah. Come and follow me. Buy my course. You can have a Lambo. You can have this. You can have that. It's all fucking bullshit. Exactly. And, and that's, that's what winds me up. But I have, to, I have to monitor my energy because otherwise I'm going to become like the most controversial person because I hate seeing stuff like that. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I just want to tear that down. But then I'm like, actually, let's focus on, on myself. But I, I do get like drawn into that because I'm like, you can see it. Like you can see the bullshit, the BS there. But again... I can only concentrate on what I can do. So all I'd rather do is spread more positivity, more hope, more inspiration and do my thing rather than spend this side here. Because what's going to happen otherwise is we're going to lose ourselves if we both follow that. And what we're going to do is we're going to become those negheads. I don't want to be considered as a negative person. I'm always smiling. I'm always happy. I'm not a negative person. Um, So yeah, let's just be conscious of our energy and stuff. But through our messages, try and educate people that when you see this stuff, just look look at the mask that they're putting on try and peel that back and look what's actually behind there. What's this person trying to say? Why does somebody need to floss about how much money they're earning? Is there a level of insecurity there? And if they're earning so much money, then what, why do they need you to go pay them four or 500 pound a month? For example, like if they're, so I'll tell you something, if I had seven figures, the last thing I would be doing is spending two or three hours a day helping someone do like mundane, boring stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like I would be out there like making a much bigger impact. So mm-hmm. I, I always say that, like, just question it. But again, we come through wisdom and we've come through being hurt and adversity. So all we can do now is just share our experiences that hopefully somebody doesn't have to go through the same thing that we've been through. Mm-hmm. Aaron, I'm going to ask you a question that most people ask right at the beginning of the podcast. Go on. Tell us about your early years. I think me and you had a conversation where you said you was a right little fatty and you went on this fitness <laughs> route. You, you got yourself into shape. So tell us yeah. about the early years of Aaron. The early years before property. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I grew up with, um, having a gift and a curse. So I grew up with the ability that I could look at something and remember it instantly. Um, so at school, everyone thought I was really, really clever, but actually I was like really lazy, but I could just revise stuff the night before and pass and like do better yeah. than everyone else. Yeah. As in, it sounds amazing, but what it did is it taught me to be very, very lazy in like all walks of my life. So I, I was like the first kid to go to grammar school, got accepted at all grammar schools. I was like, doing really well academically you know I've done degrees I've done masters I've done diplomas I've done all anything that requires a bit of rote learning I could do it um but yeah like in terms of health and stuff I really wanted to be a footballer and a boxer as a young age um my parents were like no chance you're you're going to university you're going to get a degree again it's an Asian thing so I never used to drink or anything when I went to university I started drinking um because I used to struggle really bad on nights out so on a night out, I'd be so scared to like dance or anything because I was so shy. And I'd just stand by the pillow. I was like, I need something down me. So I used to just at the bar, have a few drinks. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, doing Billie Jean dances and all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> and having a good time. So that kind of helped me. So actually, I started using alcohol almost like, like, like it became my friend that it was helping me. So I left university and I was like 85 kg. Bearing in mind, I boxed at 64. So I lost 20 kg like to get into just like a normal weight. I'm about 69, 70 now. So I was 84 kg, but I had never trained. I, I literally had man boobs. Um, I was really, really unfit. And what had happened was when I actually graduated, um, I graduated from construction project management. It was a five-year degree at Aston University. And when I graduated, it was a crash. 
So I couldn't get a job. And um, one of the things I really wanted to do was still be a boxer. So I was, I was like begging my parents. And at that point, they were fostering children um, who are part of our family now anyway. And I was like, look, I'll look after the kids. My mom wanted to go back to uni. I said, you go to uni, but let me box on the evening. So I kind of persuaded them to get me into boxing. So the only way I actually got into shape was because I was doing something I loved. I never wanted a six pack. I didn't want to look good. I, I, I didn't care for it, to be honest. Because I love boxing so much, indirectly, when you box and you box properly, you, you absolutely start looking like you look decent. Um, so I started boxing, I started doing that. And then I really just became passionate about that. And then after that, um, and we spoke about this just before we started the show, um, <laughs> I kind of train so I can eat more food. Um, I, 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 de- I developed a binge eating disorder. So I used to consume like 10, 15,000 calories on a weekend on nights out and stuff and you know my, my life's just been like random like random events of just stuff but obviously when I look back now I can kind of connect the dots in terms of the person that I am today but yeah I was I was lazy I always had a job I always had a job because we come from a poor family so to support my mom I had to work otherwise we didn't have enough money um so I've always worked since I was 15 that's why when I first invested in property I was able to put my own money into it I bought my first house at 25 and that was like my own money so I've always worked but at the same time, if I can avoid something, I'm avoiding it like straight away. Like I'm the first one to be like, nah, I don't want to be doing that. But obviously, you know, personal development and all that stuff and being married and stuff. I've now become what a lot of people will perceive as a hard worker. And I do work hard, you know, I work seven days a week. I train hard. I try and do everything with intensity. But I think my natural demeanor is to like just relax, a couple of beers, nachos, Netflix. But I have to kick myself out of that just with like, habits and discipline. Mm. Mm. kick back and chill huh that's it man that, that 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 for me is like the life although i reckon now because of the way i am in life i'd go crazy like we did it for seven days how i mentioned at the beginning of the podcast and after about seven days you're like yeah i want to do something i want to start working on stuff so we started working on the business i started creating these videos that i really enjoy so i'd rather spend eight hours actually doing that but yeah like i think my natural inclination is to be lazy yeah yeah i think uh that's probably with a lot of people yeah so Aaron, what's your ultimate why then? Why are you doing all this? Where do you want to end up? And at what point do you think you will stop? I don't think I'll stop. Um, I think, again, my thing is I'm, I'm passionate about Find Your Voice. I'm passionate about the meaning behind Find Your Voice. So it doesn't need to become the biggest podcast in the world. My thing is I did a lot of this stuff in my life for other people, for external validation. I wanted to make my parents proud. I wanted to make my siblings proud. And a lot of the stuff I did was for other people. The whole ethos behind what, the way I try and live is actually look more internally, be self-aware, realize what makes you happy. You know, we could all be property investors, but for some of us, two buy to lets might be okay. That's absolutely fine. You haven't got to compare with a property tycoon. If two pays your bills and you like your job, go do your job. Um, so I'm always trying to preach and try and educate people on becoming themselves and overcoming adversity. So I've overcome a lot of adversity in my life, as many, many people have. And I've always found that every time I've overcome it, I've become a better person off the back of it because I've reframed that. So my main two things is overcoming adversity and then just obviously finding who you are as a person. And then that can be anything, by the way. So for me, I'm chilled. Enough money for the gym, enough money for protein bars. My wife's still smiling. I'm happy. I'm blessed. And as long as I'm able to inspire hope to people, then I'm absolutely fine with that. But I think just through life, we as human creatures and science proves, we need progression as well. So I think naturally I'll always progress to like bigger deals in property. Like I've gone from, you know, a standard buy to let to a flip to a four bed HMO to a nine bed to the 10 flats now to a 14 unit. So naturally I'll always progress. So maybe in the future, 50, 60 units. 
But again, I'm not like striving for like a monetary figure. I'm literally striving for like my mental sanity. I have to manage that on a daily basis. I want my mom's health to be better. I want my family's health to be better. And anyone in my circle, again, I want to help them as well. So that, that's kind of what it is. No, that's some really, really sound advice there, man. And it's uh, it's nice to see that your why isn't very material oriented mm. as well. And the more people that I speak to, it is you, you see the people that are genuinely in this, um, their why is uh, very much about time, family, causes, rather than cars, houses, Absolutely. assets, and, you know, flashing it about. And I'm going to wrap it up by asking one question, mate. What is, I always ask this question, and it throws a lot of people, actually. What's one vice Aaron could not live without? Mm. Vice, vice, vice. What's one yeah, thing you off. have to do? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one thing. Like a bad, you're looking at a bad thing here? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that you have to do that's just naughty. Oh, man. Oh, man. Where do I start with that? <laughs> it's probably alcohol, to be honest. Probably alcohol. Um, yeah. I need to stop. Actually, I've been on a three, four, maybe four week uh, detox. So I feel good. But I do love to to have a drink. Uh, you know, I don't advocate everyone drinks. And I, and I come from a family of like, alcoholics as well so i probably shouldn't drink but i like i know my limits i like to have a good time i feel like i'm more myself as well that's probably my biggest vice especially when i'm trying to sell health and fitness as well and people are like you're always eating this you're always drinking that but alcohol is definitely my thing i mean my mom's asked me to stop more times than i can say but i don't think i'm gonna stop mate i think we need a beer as well after this conversation as well when uh, we're I, think, <laughs> I think so mate you're known for your signature pizza as well aren't you or something yeah. that you have as your cheat meal i've seen that mentioned that's a few it. times that's it. Yeah, I love food as well. It's it a toss-up between food and alcohol, but I can diet if I need to, like for a goal. Like I want to start boxing again in September, so I can diet with the food. But I think I always need a beer. I'm having one at five o'clock today, so I've got a Facebook Live with a good friend of mine, and I was like, "We'll have a beer, even though it's uh, remotely." <laughs> <laughs> no, fantastic, Aaron. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you, man? You got a lot of value to give. If someone's got Thank any you. questions, or you know, if someone's sitting there really struggling with some mental health issues and they just want to reach out and speak to you where can they connect with you man i appreciate that man thank you um just follow me on instagram find your voice podcast you'll see all my handles there um anything like mental health related and stuff i can point you to the right organizations it's not necessarily going to be mine but i can try and help you with the information that i got and anything else in like property or fitness and stuff happy to help happy to have a conversation i'm quite active on instagram i've got too many handles to give them more so let's just do find your voice podcast thank you no no, fantastic. Aaron, I'm going to wrap Appreciate it up there, man. Just want to say thanks very much for joining me. We've been trying to get together and do this for a long time. It's finally happened and I'm so glad it is. So guys, feel free to tune in. You can find this podcast on all, all major channels and do just leave me a review if you like the podcast. Uh, and if you don't, don't leave me a review. <laughs> as easy as that. Simple. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the J2 Hub podcast with James Sahota. If you like the podcast, feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.